Omai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. A flower tower comes to Douglas and we meet an old friend whose life is taking a new direction. That's all after we listen to a very lovely piece of music. Make a Joyful Noise, written by talented composer, organist and choirmaster Jack Odes. Jack is based in Exeter now, but about seven years ago he was the organ scholar here at the Cathedral in Peel, and since leaving he's kept contact with the Cathedral and its Director of Music, Dr Peter Littman, resulting in several compositions that Jack has written specially for our Cathedral Choir. Jack wrote this piece a couple of years ago, but it's just been recorded as part of a video to mark the closure of the link relationship between the Diocese of Sodor and Man and the Diocese of Cashel, Ferns and Ossory in Ireland. The choir is directed by Dr Peter Littman and the organist is Stuart Corrie. Choir of the Cathedral in Peel, making a joyful noise under the direction of Dr Peter Littman with organist Stuart Corrie. 
and Peel was in the news yesterday as a centre for yarn bombing. All manner of knitted things appeared round the city, including the cathedral grounds, as part of Peel's Secret Gardens weekend. At the same time, textiles of a different kind attracted a lot of attention at St Thomas's Church here in the heart of Douglas. I'd heard that something was happening there, so on Friday afternoon I called into the church to find out more. I am in St Thomas's Church. St Thomas's Church, very, very easy to find. It's just in the shadow almost of the Gaiety Theatre, in the, the heart of Douglas. And I am looking at something that is so amazing, it almost defies description, but I'm going to do my very best. Now, if you've ever been inside St Thomas's Church, it's a big church. And I am looking at a network of flowers that stretches the entire length of the church from the front just below the altar right through to the doors at the back. It's a strong mesh background and on it are stitched flowers that have been knitted, crocheted in any style. Some are quite simple, some are huge, some are tiny. It is a wonderful work of art. But it's more than that. And to find out exactly what it is, I'm talking now to the priest in charge of St Thomas's Church, Reverend Liz Hull. Hello, Liz. Hi, Judith. Well, now, I've, I've come in and caught you bending over this, carefully stitching. First of all, tell me, I believe that it was the idea of, of Jackie Freer. It was indeed. It was Jackie's idea. She came into the craft group one day last April and she had found a picture of the church in Bali, which had done a flower tower. And she said, we're going to do this. And uh, everyone sort of mmmed and ahed and thought, all right, well, if Jackie says we're going to do it, we're going to do it. <laughs> now, you've described it as a flower tower. Tell me about that, Liz. These are flowers that have been knitted or crocheted, as you say, by members of the craft group at St Thomas's, but also people around the island. The idea took off and people knitted flowers and left them at the back of church or down by the church bookshop or at Bonton Fabrics. And then I'd pick up a bag and bring them back. And uh, they've all been incorporated in. We don't know all the people who've contributed to this project, but we're extremely grateful for everyone who's contributed. Now, it has to be said that St Thomas is a bit of a hub because every Friday morning you have a, a drop-in for coffee and then once a month you have a, a lunch on a Friday. Indeed. So it does pull people in. Now, you're saying flower tower and all these flowers have been stitched onto a, a very strong mesh background. So what are you going to do with it? So Laxi Mines Research Group, Pete Geddes and, and his team, are helping us tomorrow, Saturday, to put the uh, netting outside the church tower, down from the Louvre windows, down in front of the door, on the tower facing the sea. This is going to stretch all the way down to the bottom. It is going to look amazing. It is. It's uh, 20 metres of netting with over 3,000 flowers sewn on there and I know when I started making flowers it took me an hour to make one so if it gives you some idea of the it's not man hours it's woman hours mostly that have gone into this <laughs> here we are Friday afternoon and you're just checking over to make yes. sure everything's secure because it's going to stay there for a while isn't it? It is it's going to stay there till the end of August 
God willing. And, you know, I think it'll be a tourist attraction because it certainly deserves to be. Well, it, it will because it's so bright and beautiful and it will be a talking point. And of course, going up from the Louvre windows in the yes. tower, it'll be visible from yes. quite a distance. Yes. But for you, it's it's got a deeper meaning, hasn't it, Liz? Yes. Well, it reminds me of St Thomas's. It's so colourful and vibrant and it evolved. And I feel that that's like a lot of things that happen here. You know, they're colourful and vibrant and they become much larger than life, you know, particularly when Jackie's ideas are involved. <laughs> we can walk past St Thomas's. It's quite a dark building. And just walking past it, you could perhaps think that there wasn't very much going on at all, but nothing could be further from the truth. There is always something going yes. on in the church. And I think this is this is probably going to point towards it, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. It's going to point towards the beauty of the interior of the church, the, the murals and things like that. And just the activity and the variety of activity that happens here you know it's a a very vibrant community and it's a very welcoming community for all ages obviously you've gone into the the safety and durability side of this and and so the laxi mines research group have they been involved all along with it Last year we celebrated 150 years of continuous worship and this was the project that was designed for that. Anyway, Pete Geddes was a former pupil at St Thomas's School and came in for that celebration and we happened to be talking about it and he mentioned he could help and that was the sort of link and they've helped with the faculty process, which which is getting permission from the church authorities, helping us with the netting and the strength and the, the ropes that are going to hold it in place. So they've really helped a tremendous amount. And we're extremely grateful to them. But what a lovely community effort then. Yes. And I think there's something lovely about the fact that you don't know everybody who's contributed, but hopefully those who have, they know who they are. Yes. And also... Through it all, there are some red and yellow ones that look like a pom-pom that hasn't been made into a pom-pom yet. And they're from the Rainbows group that meets in the church because obviously knitting and crocheting is far too complicated for little hands, but they were still able to contribute and we're really thankful that they've been able to have their mark on it as well. So your regular worship at St Thomas's, Liz, is on a Sunday morning at what time? At 11. We're having a service just to celebrate this achievement and the Mayor of Douglas is coming and we're going to have a a little celebration afterwards, but it's really just to give thanks. The Bible readings tie in very well. We've got the parable of the sower, and and I've had fun thinking about the hymns that we could have, you know, all the hymns that mention flowers.
the Jubilate singers celebrating the beauty of creation in song, Think of a World Without Any Flowers. It was on Friday afternoon that I recorded this conversation with priest in charge of St. Thomas's Church, Reverend Liz Hull, as she and members of the church were putting finishing touches to this magnificent display that was intended to be, as Liz has just described, hung from the top of the church tower. But, as we know, the weather wasn't of the best yesterday. But, under the careful guidance of Pete Geddes and the team from the Laxey Mines Research Group, the flower tower was successfully installed, and it looks spectacular. The service of thanksgiving that Liz mentioned earlier is this morning at 11 o'clock, and if you're able to get to St Thomas's in time, you'll be made most welcome, and you can have a good look at the flower tower. But there will be lots of chances to see it in the coming weeks. Do be sure, in the weeks that follow, to the end of August, do be sure to go and have a look at the flower tower hanging from St Thomas's. When people come and have a look at this, will they find the church open, Liz? We are open on a Friday morning, as you said, for coffee and, and chat. We're open on a Monday afternoon for the craft group, and we're open on a Wednesday evening for the summer concerts. So three great opportunities yes. there, yes. where you can not only see the flowers, but enjoy something else that St Thomas's offer. And I'm just longing to see what the craft group think of next. (laughs) Reverend Liz Hull, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. I'll let you get back to double-checking your flowers. (laughs) Thank you, Judith. In the bob there is a flower In the seed an apple tree In cocoons a hidden promise Butterflies will soon be free In the cold a spring that waits to be unrevealed until its season something God alone can see there's a song in every silence seeking word and melody there's a dawn Bringing hope to you and me From the past will come the future What it holds a mystery Unrevealed until its season Something God alone can see
A Hymn of Promise from Deborah Nisgoda. In the bud there is a flower, in the seed there is a tree. And now let's welcome my second guest on today's programme. Paul Moores has been a regular visitor to the island in recent years as our link with the leprosy mission. Well, he was back earlier this week, but in a very different role. Paul Moores, good morning and welcome back. Hi, Judith. It's lovely to be back. Well, the last time we talked, you were the representative for the Leprosy Mission, a familiar visitor to the island here, and you did hint to me that there might be a change. You felt that God was asking you to look at something else. You felt God had given you a word, and the word was the sharp end. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about that, Paul. About 18 months or so ago, I just really felt this strong leaning towards being involved more with the Bible in, in what I was doing. And this phrase, I want you to be involved at the sharp end, seemed to keep getting repeated. As a result of that, I started to to question what next, God, and, and a, a door opened, really, on, on the back of that sort of questioning within my, within my heart, really. And the door opening was an opportunity to work for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Now, Wycliffe, that's John Wycliffe. Tell us a little bit about John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was an amazing man back in the 14th century. He and a number of other Christian men and women really stood against the the hierarchy within church life, within society, that wanted to sort of keep people down, just wanted to have the ministers and dignitaries that could speak Latin, that could have the scripture. And he pioneered the very first translation of the Bible as we know it today in English. And obviously, all these centuries later, we owe him a great debt. Did he do the translation himself or did he draw people to him to, to work on it with him? There was a team of people involved. He, he was the one who sort of banged the drum for it to happen. He was the one that rallied people around the idea and he he was involved in translation he was involved in in what led on to it finally being printed and 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 being put into the hands of people he was sort of the figurehead rather than doing the whole of the the work involved it was a very much a a a movement really that he spearheaded really We've got to a a stage now where on our smartphone we can have an app that gives me every translation I could possibly want to look at from the King James to the Message Bible. But for a staggering number of people, they do not have access to the Bible in their native language. Just how many people are affected, Paul? One in five people alive on planet earth right now don't have the bible in the language that they speak every day that equates to 1.5 billion people and that is across all continents it's people groups within europe it's people groups of all sorts of backgrounds that still do not have a whole bible in the language that they speak to each other every day would i be right paul in saying that in these these are countries also where possibly christianity is not the dominant faith Absolutely. More and more we are being asked to be involved in translation projects for communities that we would put under the umbrella of being persecuted church, really. These are communities that are within nations that there is animosity to the gospel, there's animosity to Christianity. Those nations obviously have sort of a double challenge, really, because a, a lot of our work has to be very secretive. 
helping people to to get the word of God out to people in a format that's not going to be detected and squashed. You rely, I believe, quite a lot on the experience of missionaries, people who have worked in those countries who can bring you particular intelligence. Is, yeah. is that right? It is, yeah. The wonderful thing about Wycliffe is that throughout history, there have been families and individuals who have literally gone on to the front line. They've gone to live their lives in communities that have been totally alien to them. And many of them are now back in the UK. Some have reached an age where they've had to come back. Some have come back for family reasons. Some have come back because of difficulties within the nation. But the lovely thing is that not just out in what we would see to be the mission field, but back here in our nation, we have just wonderful families and individuals whose stories are just incredible. And they have linguistic skills, they have people skills, they have technology skills. And so a lot of them still head up projects in nations that they have a heart for, but they they do it from here. So even though we have wonderful teams on the ground that they train up, a lot of them are managed by people that are sat in their office in Norwich or in Douglas or wherever. Well, of course, this is making absolutely the best use of technology because it's no longer a question of translating the Bible and printing off copies and then posting them out to wherever. It's a much more sophisticated thing now. So let's talk about practicalities. First of all, how do you decide who gets the translating done? The priorities are where local church leaders come to us For instance, a community in Togo in West Africa where quite a number of people came to faith who were previously from an animist tradition, so a voodoo type tradition. And Wycliffe produced a New Testament in their language, which is called Ife. But they're now seeing lots of people come to faith, but they don't have an Old Testament in Ife. So those are the sorts of projects where we see the urgency because church leaders are getting frustrated that they've not got the tools to be able to lead these growing faith communities, really. And so do you make a lot of use of apps, you know, designed for particular languages? Yes. In a lot of countries now, we use apps, we use SD cards, all sorts of technology is being used to make sure that we can get the Bible to as many people as possible. In in more and more communities, things are becoming far more the spoken word rather than the written word. But uh, again, we have some, some wonderfully technical people, some wonderful teams across the nations that are involved in producing those. Translators, it's got to be a good translation and a faithful translation. So how do you manage that, Paul? Again, there's an incredible blend of linguistic skills, but also then a sensitivity to local dialect. So within the teams that we build in each setting, we will regularly go back over and over to say, is that quite right? Does that come across well? We'll have people that will see it from a few different angles. So what are you actually saying to people? What what do you want to achieve, Paul? It's really about partnership. My title is Church Relations Manager, which really means Church Partnerships Manager. So wherever I travel church-wise to speak and to meet with people, we're asking people to pray We're asking people to consider the mission field. Will you join us? Would you consider being involved? And then obviously we we need funding. We talk to people about 
regular commitment to help finance the projects that we have. That is a growing thing. We have a growing number of wonderful supporting churches, you know. But I think possibly, listening to you, Paul, one of the most important things that we can bear in mind is that it is still dangerous to be a Christian in too many countries. And, you know, the Bible, and I'm ashamed to say this, We like to have a copy in the house, but how many times does it come down off the shelf? You know, mine certainly doesn't come off the shelf as frequently as it should do. And, And here we've got people who are crying out for the gospel. And we have missionaries who are prepared to personally take great risk to get the word of God out where it needs to be. And if nothing else, we need to pray for these people, don't we? Absolutely. The people that I've met and the stories that I hear, people have given their lives into nations where there has been threat to their life. You know, I've heard stories of families that have had to flee from towns and hide from opposition. At the heart of of what we do at Wycliffe, we are in a battle. It's sort of a almost a glib thing to say that we live on a battlefield, but actually to get the Bible out to communities where it's not even revered as as being the word of God. It's just an incredible challenge in itself, really. Is it a challenge that makes you determined to make a difference? Absolutely. In the 12 months or so that I've been with Wycliffe, there's two sort of sides to it that have really impressed me most. One, obviously, is the fact that putting the word of God into somebody's hands gives them the opportunity to find Jesus. There's that element to it. The other part of it is actually literacy itself. Arming people with literacy skills frees them to do all sorts of things, something I hadn't thought of. So things like mothers being able to read labels on medicine jars to be able to give the right things to their children people not being able to be ripped off by people because they can read documents better so arming people with literacy itself and with the word of god is sort of a two-pronged attack that lifts communities faith-wise and in lots of other ways too to think that their improved literacy skills which as you say is the key to a better life generally and and a general freedom is coming to them from the Word of God. There seems something very right about that, doesn't there? Absolutely, yeah. We use the word transformation quite a lot. Communities are transformed, literally, because of the Word of God. It it literally transforms people's outlook on life, people's thought about themselves, people's thought about how much God loves them. literally transforms both lives, communities and nations. Paul Moores, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Lovely to see you again. And presumably there is a useful website. Yes, it's www.wycliffe.org. And Wycliffe is spelled? W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E. Thank you, Paul Moores, now the Church Relations Manager for Northern and Central England for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Our Leprosy Mission Relations Manager is now Michael Hardy and we look forward to welcoming him back for his next visit to us in September. And now it's time to take a look at our notice board and I think you'll agree there's something here to suit everyone. Port Erin Gospel Church, next to the Catholic Church on the main road in Port Erin, have a special guest speaker at their two services today. Mr Paul Alford from Northern Ireland will be taking both morning and evening services. The morning service starts at half past 11 and the message is Stop Talking and Start Walking. The evening gospel service starts tonight at 6 o'clock and the message is Falling for Paul's Preaching. Everyone will be made most welcome. 
Also today, the Friends of Onkin's Heritage have their annual service at Abbeylands Chapel starting at three o'clock. The service will be led jointly by Reverend Steve Ingruel and Monsignor John Devine. There's a warm welcome for all and there will, of course, be refreshments served afterwards. And this evening, the service at Sandygate Chapel is at half past six and that too will be led by Reverend Steve Ingruel. And Sandygate Chapel will be open this Tuesday, the 18th, from 10am until 12 noon, serving refreshments alongside a raffle and a toy stall, with all proceeds going to the registered charity, Jerby and Northern Community Initiatives. Tomorrow, Monday the 17th, Meadowside Choral Society will be in concert in Port St Mary Methodist Church. The concert starts at half past seven and there'll be refreshments afterwards. The season of summer concerts continues each Wednesday evening in St Thomas's Church here in Douglas. This Wednesday, the music will be provided by the talented trio of Simon Fletcher, Jenny Derbyshire and Gareth Moore. The concert starts at a quarter to eight and whilst admission and light refreshments are free, a donation to the collection as you leave would be much appreciated. And don't forget, if you come to the concert, allow time to look at that flower tower that we were talking about earlier. The next simple lunch at the Cool Methodist Hall will be held this Thursday the 20th from noon until 2pm. The menu is homemade soup, bread and cheese, a dessert and tea or coffee, all for £7 per person. Good food and company and a warm welcome awaits. There's a concert every Thursday evening in St Catherine's Church in Port Erin. Starting at a quarter to eight with refreshments in the church hall after the concert, the music this week is provided by the QE2 Wind Band. And whilst admission is free, a little donation to the collection as you leave will be greatly appreciated. Later this week, there's an open gardens event in the north of the island. On Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd, 10 gardens will be open for you to explore between 11am and 4.30pm on both days. And a programme, costing just £5, has full details and admits one person to visit all the gardens at your own pace. And be sure that your tour of the gardens includes a visit to Selby Community Hall on Clenock Road, just by the Selby Glen Hotel. With help from the Manx Wildlife Trust, there'll be all kinds of activities on a wildlife theme, including a variety of crafts, colouring books and origami, as well as wildlife spotter sheets. Northern Lego Club will have wildlife models and, of course, there'll be delicious refreshments on sale too. You'll find the Open Gardens programmes on sale all this week in the village stores in Selby, Andreas and Balaf. And when Selby Community Hall is open on Friday and Saturday, there'll be programmes on sale there too. Next Saturday, the 22nd, Selby Methodist Church invites you to their Strawberry Fair in the church and church grounds from 1.30 this coming Saturday. Crosby Silver Band will be playing at two o'clock. There'll be traditional games for the children from three and games for adults and children to play together. Also, there'll be strawberries and cream, hot dogs, tea and coffee, candy floss, stalls, a raffle, a coconut shy and more. Definitely a day for all the family. Next Saturday, there's a special day at St James in Dorby. Called Journeying to Joy, it's a one-day retreat at Dolby next Saturday the 22nd. Arrive at half past nine for a ten o'clock start and it'll finish by half past four. 
It's based around the inner stillness of the practice of meditation, with reflections and practice to help lead you into a deeper understanding of experiencing personal joy in our lives. There'll be an option for a walk or creative activity, time to meditate and reflect in beautiful land and seascapes. It's open to everyone. You don't need to have practiced meditation before to join this retreat. The cost at £12.50 includes lunch and refreshments throughout the day. To help with catering, please book in advance by contacting Cheryl Cousins. Her email is cherylcousins at manx.net and you can bring along cash payments with you on the day. Or if you prefer, you can phone Cheryl on 843 471. 843 471. Next Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, the Isle of Man Organist Association invite you to an organ recital in St Olive's Church on Bowering Road in Ramsey. The organist will be Olga Stone. Admission is free, with the opportunity to give to a retiring collection if you wish. And last but by no means least, on Saturday evening, St Peter's Church in Onken are hosting a summer soiree with pims, a buffet and music from Onken Silver Band. It's on Saturday evening at half past six and tickets are £10. Tricia has the tickets. Contact her to reserve yours on 472731. 472731. And once you've reserved your tickets, you can pay and collect them on the night. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back tonight at nine o'clock, ready to open the door to our virtual late lounge and welcome you to sundown. A mix of easy listening music, your requests and dedications and a little bit of nostalgia to round off your day. And I'd love you to join me if you can. And so, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and happy week and a very good morning. Oh,